Did you enjoy the Fuse first day? That's very good. I love that. I, I that that's another thing I I, I uh, associate with this episode without having to think about it. Less than twenty years after the end of the war, and Hitler jokes are funny already. <laughs> Mad Men, a term coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. I saw your new dad. My mom said that would happen. Welcome to They Coined It. I'm Roberta Lip. I'm Dan Jasper. We cover Mad Men episode by episode, even the Christmas ones. <laughs> we should talk for a moment about Lee Garner Jr.'s coat when he enters the office for the party. Please remind me, because okay. I mean, maybe we so should. This but thing, <laughs> this thing looks like it's it's uh, Janie Bryant, of course, doing the costuming. So it's got like it's like a brown overcoat, like a winter's coat, but like with this oversized fur collar. Oh, that, does that comes a bell. all the way around his neck and like down the lapels. So this thing, it just it it looks like a rich a little rich boy's coat. The 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 matchup of who the character is with him coming into this party that is, you know, it's 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 the emperor coming into the kingdom kind of thing. Well, yeah, it's it that sounds like emperor, and also it sounds it codes a little gay. And there's, you know, that's the undertone. Right. right. Everything codes a little gay now. Right. right. Well, it's, I mean, right. fair enough. I mean, but that's that's the unspoken thing through, this whole, it's, through it's, any it's, Lee Garner contact going forward. Well, we've already seen him. That he's an know, abuser and a gay, you know, and a, and a queer yeah, one. And someone who's in Palm Beach at Christmas time wearing a kimono and getting a manicure, that doesn't... <laughs> We've already seen that already in this episode. He's in New York getting the manicure, but yeah. Oh, that's but he's, right. But, he's he's in but, town. but Palm Beach, yeah, no. It's- Roger thought he was in Palm Beach. That's right. Um, yep. Yeah. So we've already seen that to this point, and now he comes in with the fur collar, and it's yeah, maybe a little, a little, a little Fay, to, to, if to, you will, to call it something. Um, Speaking of Fay, what an episode! We have one now. <laughs> we right. have it. We, ha- we we have a Fay. We have a Doctor Fay. Yeah, I just, I just had that coat is just worth a moment because it is nobody on the planet would wear that coat but Lee Garner Jr. And it's, it's, fa- fa- it's fascinating and fabulous all at the same time. I am not the one to like comment on I this know. outfit or that outfit too often, but boy, oh boy, that, that was worth it. If we can find an image of it, we will get it onto the Instagram. <sighs> so tough one, but yeah. Christmas Comes But Once a Year, written by Tracy McMillan and Matthew Weiner, directed by Mike Uppendahl. Original air date was August 1st, 2010, and it takes place over six days, some of which are consecutive, just prior to Christmas, 1964. So this is the episode, it's episode two of season four, that primarily it's it's when the office has to uh, jerry-rig a, uh, a fancy Christmas party for Lee Garner Jr., who they didn't expect to be coming, but now is. Surprise! So they go, they go from, what does Roger call it, from... Uh, from convalescent convalescent home to Robin orgy, right? So, <laughs> uh, and Don is drinking heavily in this period of time. Glenn and Sally are doing their version of flirting, and Peggy and Freddie. Freddie returns first of all as a sober freelancer and works with Peggy on the Pons account. Tallulah Bankhead is Tallulah his Bankhead. big idea. Everybody loves Tallulah Bankhead, <laughs> and. Um, and we meet, uh, and we meet Doctor Fay, who is who is introduced as a researcher, kind of a I don't know if it's psychologist, not a psychiatrist, but more of a I don't know what it would be like um, 
uh, mass psychology or something like that. Uh, some kind of researcher in that in that space. She's definitely got some credentials. <laughs> I'm just not sure what they are. I right. believe I believe she's a doctor. I believe it's Dr. Fay. It is Dr. Fay, and she's um, yeah. It's it's sort of like again, it's early stage of kind of mass influence, right? Like the the, the study of 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 cultural influence, but who knows what that would be called. She's studying the employees. So it's sort of like one of these Myers-Briggs uh-huh, approach. Right. You know, like, like we've, mm-hmm. I think we've all at this point, anybody who works in any corporate environment and maybe other environments has been, you know, we've had to take some version of a personality test so we can find the best management style for you <laughs> or whatever. So, yeah. but, but what it seemed like also, I honestly, I had a hard time following those scenes for whatever reason. Um, but it seemed like eventually it would be used for the clients or for the or for not for the client as a client tool about customers. Yeah, I think she was using the the staff as a proxy sort of saying, here's how it works. We would yeah. normally do this with uh, an audience segment and study them based on their motivations and their relationship with their parent, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but but, I'm gonna, you know, we're going to do it here as a little as a little case study so you can see how how we would um, evaluate this group. So that I think was the the premise of it. Um, I, I I think the, the the key thing for me was how Harry was was treated. <laughs> this, yeah, it means you're a psychopath. So he takes his fistful of cookies and then hides his answers when he. When well, the line test. was, the point of the cookies is everyone should be rewarded for their time. <laughs> and then I don't That's know if good. you caught this, but Mark Peggy's boyfriend brings cookies. <laughs> To oh, Peggy, to nice. the apartment, he's got cookies. She's being rewarded for her time. And I think um, <laughs> if we jump ahead to what happens with Allison and the transactional She's rewarded nature, for her time oh, as well. <laughs> God, we'll get to all of it. Total aside, I just participated this week in a focus group for an ad agency or for you know some marketing campaign, mm-hmm. and it was uh, Dove. I know how Dove, Dove a few years ago had a big like all different women and body types campaign yeah. and everybody felt great about Dove and now they were trying some new stuff. And can you imagine? I was like, I hate it. <laughs> they actually they ran two campaigns by us. But the first one, it really seemed like that that was where they were going. And I was like, I'm sorry, I hate the whole premise. I, you know, there I was. But anyway, I do want to say something about speaking of me and my ornery nature and Faye. Hmm. I, you know, this is going to be a, what I saw watching this episode is, oh, this is going to be a tricky season to keep spoiler free. So we may (laughs) do some spoilers. You know, some of, we we talked about we're going to have these different ways of ending other than quotes and, you know, in addition to quotes and one, one might be spoilers and we'll give you warning and peace out. And again, most of our listeners don't need that warning, but it's a safe space. But um, what I wanted to say is, there was a lot of fan love for Dr. Faye throughout this season. And I was never, it wasn't like I didn't like her. I just, I didn't love her. I wasn't there. And I am bringing an open-mindedness. I always meant to sort of come back to this season and be like, was it me? It was probably me. Because lots of people I like and respect. It's not like another Suzanne. It's not like I hated her. Right. You know, but I, I just, I want to just say I'm going to, I'm going to be like open. And so far in this episode, I think she's really cool and interesting. And Cara Buono does a great job. She's phenomenal. She's, she's great. And I love the, it's some weird version of a New York accent that she's got. And I like it. it it's not typical. 
especially in a show in New York where no one has a New York accent virtually. Um, hers is is interesting to listen to, I find. That's totally beside the point. Mm. To your point about likability, I think that the audience, and I'll include myself in this group, I think we like female characters who call down out on his shit or just hold him accountable in some in some way. And what we get with Dr. Faye from the from the jump is holding is is kind of seeing through him, right? I mean, it's in this clinical sort of mode. So it's not a personal she's not really speaking too personally about him. She doesn't know him. But I think we like that. I think that's a signal for us that she she sees through his his facade. And I think we like women who do that with Don. Well, you go back to Bethany who did it like at amateur hour. But she was very affected. That that's the thing about Bethany. She had this affect of we're going to do it this way and I'm not supposed to do that. You know, it's this whole thing. Right. And she was also, you know, 12. Dr. Faye actually had some authority in the matter. There's also the scene with Dr. Faye coming into Don's office at, you know, at the Christmas party Mm -hmm. when he says, you're coming in here to flirt. Or I was hoping you were coming in here to flirt. One of the things I I thought in that scene too is, you know, she's probably been drinking too. Like Mm -hmm. it's an off, it's a Christmas party. So she, she's, she's got these thoughts about Don and she does want to flirt, but she's also trying yeah. to draw. But she's also been drinking. Like, and you say, yeah, you she didn't say need to things. follow him into his office right. to even even to say what on the face of it she was saying. Like, you didn't take my test, right? Really, you, you didn't talk about that at the Christmas party, right? right. True. So that was a choice of hers. Yeah, but uh, but a, but a loosened up choice is my point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Drinking is drinking. We see so much drinking in this show that we forget that people are a little looser because they've been drinking. You know, as a general thing. Well, let's get into it with Don. And then I mean, let's Don, get into th- it with Don. There, there are a lot of head fakes that are beginning to formulate. So we twice see Don in this episode have trouble getting into his apartment where he has to be saved by, you know, pretty young things. Those are those first are people. They're women, actually. Those things. <laughs> right. Uh, the first time is Phoebe across the hall. The second time is Allison. So what we see is uh, the first time it kind of like plays itself out. The second time... We see Allison coming, and it it it's set up to look exactly like the first time, I thought. Don's waiting there. She comes, and we kind of think she's – we're led to believe, at least to me, the pacing and everything was leading us down this expectation that she would exit the apartment. And, of course, the head fake was that she didn't just exit the apartment. Don comes on to her, and they sleep together, and then she has to slink out, if you will. There's a lot of head fakes in terms of this episode. You're, you're seeing a lot of women. Maybe not a lot, but you're, you've Several. we've met Phoebe, who and when we first meet her is clearly coming on to him, and then we've got Faye, who mm. we already just said. You know, we we look at her, and especially when she comes into Don's office, you know, we like, are these two going to get together? We never think it about Allison ever. No, right, totally. Yeah, she's she's the dark horse. So so from one stand one angle to view it is that head fake, right? We've we think we're seeing a repeat of of putting Don to bed type of thing versus uh, what ultimately happens. And, you know, with Allison, we don't know that much about her. We haven't spent that much time with her. We've seen her in seasons past. She's always part of the gang, having a good time, uh, able to diffuse a, an un- unpleasant situation on occasion. She slept with Ken that one time. I mean, she's a she's a party girl like anybody. Right. She's yeah, basically, she, you know, she's, she's, she's very... She's down. Basic? <laughs> right, right. I mean, we don't get any right. indication of anything much about her. Right. But we love that she's good on Don's desk. She is very good at her job. We love that, let's face it, she's adorable. She's great. She's great 
sort of playing off the other characters in the show. And she's fun, fun to be with. By the way, we we have an interview with her and we'll put that in show notes uh, back back in the day. We uh, my sister interviewed Alexa Amani. Uh, you know, I think <laughs> she was great. already hunting her down. I think we already had the interview booked before this pivotal moment. Oh, yeah, because amazing. the interview, I, yeah, pretty sure the timing was we already had hunted her down once we saw she came over into the new office. Cool. Yeah. So so we have this sort of, I would say, um, somewhat novice understanding of, of this character. I just want to go back quickly to something I saw in this episode, which is there's a lot of observing of Don. Faye was the most obvious, but you're you're hearing it was it, you started yeah, bringing it up right, this whole yeah. thing of like Don and drinking. Right. We are now hearing through other people's words that Don is a drunk, and you're seeing it. Joey calls him pathetic. Joey calls him pathetic, and it's not the first time. Although this time it was related to drinking, you're starting to go. Oh, I see. There's a decline here, contrasted yeah. with with Freddie in Alcoholics Anonymous, and we'll we'll get to that. Well, it's kind of the, it's kind of a th- the shit gets old, right? He he might be great at what he does in advertising, but this the shit isn't isn't welcome. But I also think the shit gets worse. I think I no, think yeah. we wouldn't necessarily notice that. That's what the other you know exposition through conflict people right. bitching about him, people observing him. They're telling us they're using the word drunk. We heard the word drunk. So now we get to now we've got he can't get into his apartment. He's mm-hmm. drunk. He calls Allison. Allison comes. Certainly, he's capable of telling Allison where he lives, but you also get the idea that she knows that this is not the first time she's had to run something over for him Mm, there down in the village. So this sex, I mean, this is this is what Me Too is for. She says no or don't. He did not rape her and she eventually, you know, went for it. But it, it took a good amount of coercion. She didn't have much of a choice. It was either going to be a scene, mm-hmm. an unpleasant scene for which she could get fired right. or get hurt right? because you don't know, you know. So, so I just really want to underline that that was, well, that the, was one of those. It's the power differential, right? I mean, that, that, when we talk about Me Too, at least, at least in my, the way I interpret a, a, a lot of it, is, is just because it's not either a classic rape or a date rape or some sort of like overt anything, right? And this wasn't an overt coercion. I wouldn't call it that. But I would call it, you know, underlying the whole subtext of the of the of their being in the same room together, of their being in the same place together, was I'm your boss. I called you down here because I left something, and you're gonna personally help me, and thank you. But when I come on to you, I'm still your boss, and when I suggest that we have sex, I'm still your boss, and and all of this, and the power differential, just because she agreed to it, doesn't make it not wrong. It's wrong on every level because it's 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 why if you're going to date your secretary, even if it's a legitimate um, relationship that's going on that develops, no spoilers. Um, it's it's worth it's worth understanding that the power differential is ever present, and you can't just wish it away. You can't just pretend it's not there because it's not true. Because the next day you're going to go in and you're going to have to be that person's boss. And you're going to have to go in and be that person's underling. And people are human. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. And, and, and you know, my look at it, I, I think there's a huge, a, a tremendous contrast to be made with the issue of when Peggy was on Don's desk and Don calls Peggy to bail him out of jail. And because of what Don knows about Peggy, he feels that she can keep a secret and she can be discreet beyond all reasonable expectations of being discreet. And that even if, she realizes that he was with Bobby Barrett and how 
inappropriate that is, that she can be discreet all the way through. And then, boom, forget about it. It didn't happen, uh, except for needing to be paid back the bail money, right? But that's the experience with Peggy. With Allison, there, Allison's doesn't have that, not only that kind of personal experience that we know of, obviously, but she also doesn't have that relationship with Don that we know of, to where Don should expect some sort of unbelievable level of, of discretion. I think I think you're totally wrong about this. I think this is not a comparison that makes any sense. He didn't fuck Peggy. Correct. He called in a favor. You know, I you know how many so we just said we can assume that Allison has bailed him out, you know, of situations many times. I am sure that the next morning Allison has never been like, well, I had to come down to your apartment last night. That's right. I think we can apply her discretion beautifully. And in fact, she didn't she didn't she didn't even use words to be like we fucked last night, so no. why are you treating me this way? So I think your your comparison. I, no, I think I think there's a jump there that I, I'm not. I don't disagree with the thing that you're saying. But I, I don't see I'm where not, she not, she doesn't have discretion. I don't no, know what you're. I, I, I don't know I, what you're I'm, pointing to. Then I'm not saying that she has to have discretion in terms of like discretion is the wrong word. I, I will I will I will say that. I want to, but I but the but the comparison to be made with Peggy is that he knows Peggy and can trust Peggy will forget. And Don, the difference is that Don is looking to come in the next morning and forget because A, he was drunk, B, he was inappropriate, and all those things we just said about coercion and the power differential. I think he knows how wrong that was. He's uncomfortable when he walks in, and he's stilted when they when they speak. And in Don's world, I want to forget about this, and I'm just going to charge forward. Thank you for my keys. Thank you for my keys. And he's looking to put it in the rear view. And- and Allison's a human being. She's she has every right to have it acknowledged. She has every right to you know whether it's like a five, she says, "Can we close? Should we close the door?" Because she's thinking, even if it's going to be a five minute conversation where he says, "Look, we're going to have to work together and be professional," you know, whether it's a long term thing. I don't think she thinks they're now boyfriend girlfriend. I think she's 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 very um, grown up about it, and she's she's. She's willing to take her share of responsibility for what happened, but at the same time um, is expecting it to be acknowledged. And Don, like blatantly, refuses to even acknowledge it ever happened. And that's the diff- that's the comparison I make with Peggy. With Peggy, it was okay to not even acknowledge it ever happened, which is exactly what. But they, they say. never. I don't even. I don't understand this at all, Dan. I'm sorry. It's okay. This doesn't make any sense to me. I don't okay. see a comparison. Well, that's, that's that's my view. So, what I see. Let's just go back to how very drunk Don was. Mm. And when Allison, when he first walks into the office and spots Allison, I had a thought of, oh, God, is he going to remember? So he did. So that was good. Him <laughs> avoiding her in the hall, you know, taking the other hallway. He knew was there was something to avoid. The right? sign yeah. that he remembered mm-hmm. because it was so brief and he was so drunk and he's a drunk. Now we can right. we can start to consider that There's he's crossed evidence. over <laughs> right. to a drunk. Mm-hmm. I think how she rationalized it in the moment, given everything we we just talked about, all the coercion, all the dis, the power differential, all of that, all the times she's already been there, and this has never happened. The fact that he's a lonely guy at Christmas, and she knows that she's going out with her friends, and he went home. I think the way that she rationalized it in that moment when she turned to a yes was, oh, he wants this. Not he needs this right now, like like taking a pee, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is practically what it was for him. 
the reflex. I mean, he this is the third arm he's grabbed or whatever, right? Like he right. proverbial grabbed phase, proverbially grabbed phase arm, and he literally with Phoebe. So, or no, that's later. My bad. But this is what he does. We see that we see this. It's it's an impulse, whether it's a drunk impulse or Don's impulse. I mean, Don's got issue after issue in this space. So who the hell knows? But I think how she rationalizes it is she decides that he's made a rational decision called, I'm going to get together with with Allison and it's going to be special. (laughs) Yeah. And whether that turns into we're doing this on an ongoing basis or we had a special moment, right. I don't know what's on her mind in the morning. And I think to your point, she's mature enough to know it, it could go either way. Right. She had no specific expectation or she wasn't like, yeah, deluding herself. But she did have an expectation of it being treated as though something <sighs> special happened because she made it special to her in order to do it. And what we're seeing in Don Draper is monstrous behavior. How quickly can I put this behind me? But even, but as it, you know, first in the apartment, this is monstrous. Crossing the Allison line is monstrous right. and disgusting. And it's, it's just awful the next morning. Now, I do want to say, although the exchange in the office was horrible and uh, he handled it crummy, that card in the desk was written the day before. <laughs> I know. I know. Right. <laughs> it just, it right. was really bad, but it's not like he came in and was like, oh, right, jotted it down that like, morning. He right. said, I'm going to, he said the day before or whenever it was, I'm going to give you a bonus, even if it means taking it out of my own pocket. And cl- like he, he, exactly. did, he did right. write it in advance. But, <laughs> but if you, if you want to, if you want to come off as 4% of a human being, you would say, Allison, you'd hold up the card and say, Allison, <laughs> the timing here is unfortunate. <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd play, you'd acknowledge, right? You would talk about the awkwardness of it, or you would acknowledge, you would close the door and have the private conversation right. that Allison is entitled to have yeah. in that situation. Jeez, looks like an Italian hospital. Yeah, I know, I know. Jane got a decorator. I feel like with my hair, you can't even see me in here. So we see Freddie return. Which is like this this welcome sight, right? Everybody greets him. Everybody offers him a drink, which again is <laughs> vastly 1964 behavior, I suppose. Um, and then is shocked when he doesn't take it. That's that's the part that stood out to me this time around. <laughs> Everyone's right. like, "What do you mean, Fred?" It's like, "Jesus Christ, everybody!" Like, we- well, they don't. You know, listen. Pause because. There was less of an understanding, certainly, in 1963 about how alcoholism functions. Now, today, there's actually disagreement about it. There's how you do it in 12-step, and then there's other other systems, which is like, you can drink again, right? But setting setting that aside, in the the Alcoholics Anonymous, in the 12-step universe, one drink is too many, a thousand is never enough. Nobody, all they ever want from Freddie is to is to be the same old drinking Freddy he was, but just yeah. not with the peeing part, right? So like, yeah, exactly. You know, they want that, the same, not, the same, the, the same behavior without without the uh, yeah. ugly, ugly consequence. And they just have no idea how it works. They just have no idea how it works. And actually, I don't know. I, we're going to talk about Freddy and and Peggy certainly, but the one thing that he says to her is. I can't remember how he phrases it, but you, you can't figure this out. You can't put this together. Oh, about uh, Cal Rutledge, right? Yeah. And that's a real respect to her intelligence 
because she can. She's she's actually playing a little bit innocent there. Like like to not pro- I think now that I'm thinking about it, I think she was playing not probing. Uh yeah. Like Freddie's out there, he's 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 sober, he's He's doing whatever he's doing. There's like, it sounds like, oh, I, I bet he's an A. Like, he, she's putting it all together and she, she's pretending she she's is. not out of out of politeness. C- correct. You're right. She's not going to go make all these leaps of, of judgment. And he's um, like, you're smarter than that. Cause correct. She Absolutely. I agree. I think there was also a general, there's a general awareness today that if somebody goes away uh, with an addiction issue and comes back and is clearly walking the, the sober line, living a sober life, I should say, that- I think everybody in that person's orbit understands that that's that person's gone through something and is still going through it, and there's a respect I think now that takes place, whereas there's no respect then, <laughs> and that and that's the part where Peggy there's just an education gap I'm sure just based on what was known then and what was yeah what was around that yeah when 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 uh, he says Cal Rutledge was out with Don and you know and. Uh, that we if with our 2021 ears we would put together up ah, cal drunk freddie's his sponsor went out <laughs> you know absolutely uh, fell off the wagon right one two three and uh and we see that play out and peggy doesn't pick up on it and that's i think part of that education it's 1964 you wouldn't put all that together necessarily no you, nobody nobody you would have any context unless you personally experienced it you wouldn't have the context and freddie's in a whole nother place in his life so I don't think that was acknowledged either vis-a-vis Freddie, you want to drink, you know, it's just all over the place. So so that's how Freddie has to come back. And it's part of Mad Men's wonderful zigzag, which is of all the people to come back living a sober life, Freddie Rumson is at the bottom of that list, right? Just because of what we- Did not expect to see Freddie doing okay, actually. The last time he left the office, he was literally sloshing out of the office with pee in his shoes. I want to say one thing. What, just one more thing about those 12 step. Freddie described himself as clean and sober. And it, and it really shocked me this time. That's not something anybody would have said. That wasn't a phrase? Is no. Right? It was controversial inside of AA for drug addicts to say, I'm an addict. And in fact, if you are in an, there's two kinds of meetings. There's many formats of meetings, but there's basically open meetings and closed meetings. An open meeting is for anybody. A closed meeting is for alcoholics only. Mm. And if you open your mouth and you say, I am Roberta and I'm an addict, and you don't say I'm an alcoholic and an addict, you're in the wrong meeting. I see. And it, but it was even, it was, and it was probably still is somewhat controversial, especially now with uh, weed getting legalized and people using CBD in different ways. I, I mean, I have no idea what's happening in there mm-hmm. these, these decades, but, um, but the, the bringing of the addicts into the alcohol, like the alcoholics were too good for the addicts and it's a, it was a whole thing. And anyway, now part of what's understood at least, and again, I, I don't know some of the nuances that I just alluded to where we are today, but part of what was understood, and it, it's definitely, it's explicit in Narcotics Anonymous, is any drug, including alcohol, counts. It's not just your drug of choice. Anything is considered a drunk or it can lead you to a drug. So there is now an understanding that clean and sober is clean and sober. And, but it was never said then. And I, again, I don't know when it would have started, but promise you, not in 1963. No fucking way. That was just wrong. Interesting. But we see Freddie walk, you know, walk in that line and, and, and turning down the drinks and trying to be a good sponsor for this cow. So, so that's the Freddie that comes back. And it's an interesting Freddie, A, because Joel Murray's just fabulous actor to watch. And we 
he knows this character so well that it's literally Freddy coming back as a as a new person. Uh, and second of all, because he now has to um, play this different role with Peggy. Peggy's now someone of a little bit of authority in the firm. No question, she gives Freddy all the credit for getting her career started, always has, always will. But now he's a freelancer, and t- technically she's his boss or, or supervising his work, and he's not treating her that way. Now, in one sense, you could look at it and go, you know, if if the right person comes back at the right time, and even though the roles might be reversed on paper, you you kind of always defer to your mentor, you always defer to that person who gave you that first job or whatever it is, and you could... You know, you 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 don't stand on ceremony with stuff sometimes. So that's that's acceptable on one level. But give me ten tags by the morning. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's right. Is not that we're we're not in that territory when when he says that. Um, it's it's inappropriate. No, no, no. I'll do it too. Uh huh. Right. Freddie is not respecting this this new new situation, and more so, more than just that, is this sensibility switch. Right. It's now whatever it is, two three years since they worked together since Freddie was in the game, uh, at least with this group. And yeah, it's a younger culture. It's a younger society. And I remember watching this the first time and just kind of like snoozing through all this stuff. But it rang out to me way, way, way more now, maybe just because I paid attention. But um, this idea of, of, of I'll use it so I get married, or if I don't use it, I won't get married. Well, which is it? Well, Peggy, what do you think? You know, it's, it's this, it is old fashioned. Peggy calls it Exactly what it is. Freddie is insanely old fashioned. And the choice of Tallulah Bankhead, which I don't expect any of our listeners to know, and I don't even know firsthand. I think just if your name is Tallulah Bankhead, you are not a contemporary of anything. <laughs> she was a marvelous dick. She was fabulous. Grand She's dame um, of the American uh, theater. But, but like a like a, a little rougher, a little coarser. She might have been queer. I might have that wrong. Um, I believe I think of her from Lifeboat, from Hitchcock's Lifeboat. I think she was one of the people in in the boat. Lifeboat is this fascinating movie because it all takes place literally on a lifeboat. That's your set. That's your cast. Those are your costumes. You know, one one contained thing. Anyway, so uh, Peggy calls this out, and it's sort of like well, we young women don't. That's not who we. <laughs> She's like, I'm the audience. I'm the I, I'm I'm the demographic. And I just as anybody should, I use the product. I went through a routine. You could see with the boyfriend. Do we Mark? That's the boyfriend's Mark. name. Mark, yeah. You know, with Mark, I'm on this 10-step plan or whatever it is. Work, work is all over my bed, <laughs> which is a great line because it means more than one thing. Um, but but she's going through the process of using the product to get a firsthand experience, which again, I don't think the Sterling Cooper uh ethos was to do stuff like that. I think she's a little advanced to, to be doing that in her to her credit. Other than the relaxer, well, yeah. I mean, I actually, I actually think it's it's the difference. I think from day one, as she became a writer, uh, as she developed as a writer, it was always you're a girl, try the products. You know, you are the market. So she, yes, she's bringing that now, but she's also now this experienced copywriter who who runs campaigns and who's come up with great yeah campaigns. So it is, it's both. I mean, and he even says, that's right, you've got the girly perspective. And she's like, yeah, but no, it's that I'm, I have the, I have the overseeing great campaigns perspective. For sure. And, and modern, you know, with, with modern sensibility, it's, 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 it's both. For sure. And, and, and she, I, I love that she has the confidence uh, to call him out on it. I mean, it's not nice what she said. And, 
but but I would think that Freddie sh- Freddie came off a little thin skinned to me when he kind of pouts out of there. Yeah, you know, it's sort of like really, Freddie is that is that is that so out of left field in this in this whole conversation that you you have to 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 no respect <laughs> right? It's 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 insane, and it's like. You know, and he, and he falls back on that ridiculous thing of, look, this is here. It's how it's going to go. They're going to go for this idea. This is the idea they're going to go. Uh, he right, doesn't, it's the fix is in. The, the fix were, is in and I know the client. Exactly, which is such lazy bullshit work. And it's done every minute of every day. We all know that. And she says, this is what everybody always said about you. <laughs> Truly. And I love that she loves being at the scrappy startup, right? They look. People look at the work we do. People look at the work we present, even if it's not what gets done. They're expecting a little razzmatazz or whatever that might be in the, in the given account and given situation. We have to present something that is fresh and new and contemporary and not Tallulah Bankhead with, you know, the roses in the vase in the dressing room or whatever. Right. And we also have we also have glow coat to live up to. We've already we're not just a startup. We're a startup that made a splash. We're, and cre- now we're creatively we to, relevant. We have to live up to the splash. What I also saw, there's a few things with with Mark and Peggy and with Freddie and Peggy. First of all, she is living with a huge secret and neither of them uh, know it. So everybody is kind of coaxing her along in one direction or another, whether it's personally, sexually, all of that. And she's got this, 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 she's had a baby mm. and nobody knows that. And that's, uh, that's so well, with Mark, it's two in secrets. this <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's compounded secrets. That's right. Mm-hmm. And everybody's talking about what she should do and what she wants to do. What's wrong with Elizabeth Taylor? Isn't it about making old ladies look good? Nothing makes old ladies look good. The ponds does. That's the point. Did you notice they have a conference table now? <laughs> they do. <laughs> they can put cookies they on do. it. Yeah. That's right. So real quick, I want to mention that little conversation uh, before Faye goes into Don's office between Atherton and Bert Cooper at the party. They're talking about, you know, the socialism and who we give money to. It's this it, it just it's sort of like, OK, so everyone was arguing about the same things in 64 as we're arguing about today. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and then she walks into Don's office and says something about. About that conversation, like they won't be happy till they figure out how to take money from everyone. I forget what the what the comment was, but it was it was a cute little um, cute little detail to to the whole thing. Get her some Beatles forty fives and him uh, transistor radio too. Glenn's working at this uh, Christmas tree pop up where they're getting the trees from, <clears throat> and because he's like now a foot and a half taller than he was last time we saw this character. Uh, he comes up and he says, I'm Glenn Bishop. <laughs> yes, to introduce himself, <laughs> both to us and to Sally. Well, but also because they had ignored, they had walked right past him. So I don't know. I didn't know if that was. I think it was to the audience. <laughs> I think that's who it was. <laughs> I think it was just in case we didn't quite recognize Glenn this with this gap of time. That's how I took it. I thought it was funny. Well, it's it's a way to get exposition, you know. It's a way yeah, to sure. It's a way to catch the audience up. But but why would? But they didn't have to put in. You ignored me. So why did they ignore him? Is Betty because they don't talk to the bishops? Listen, Betty, especially in front of Henry, is not going to talk to her ex boyfriend, <laughs> whose mommy whose mommy slapped him. 
he could have just been like, you might have forgotten me because I'm taller now. <laughs> but they put in the other thing. So why would that be? It's because because of the whole history there. Mm -hmm. It's because we're not allowed to talk to Glenn, to Glenn. But also, like I said, Betty in front of Henry would never... <laughs> <laughs> would never open the door to mommy won't let me talk to you. God forbid Glenn says that. <laughs> but they they strike up a little renewed friendship conversation. Something, well, something. I think they're in cahoots, right? They they both now have divorced parents. Um I think Glenn Bishop as a character, we know, you know, awkward kind of socialization. We we know this as as a boy, whether that's still true now, who knows. Total weirdo. As an eight-year-old, we know this. <laughs> Another way to put it, yeah. But um, but that he and Sally can bond a little bit, perhaps, over the fact that they're now in this situation, and he's and he's the old hand, right? He can he can use his experience a little bit manipulatively. Which, as an eleven-year-old, we'll give him a pass. But um, but he's he's trying to uh, show her how wise he is and how, you know, the prediction thing, right? I'm going to, you know, you're, you're going to wake up one day and they're going to move or whatever. Well, we know this from the last time that we saw him when he ran away. He, he thinks girls and women are to be saved and rescued <laughs> by him. So he's going to teach Sally. He's going to show her the way, you know, there were a couple of predictions that happened in this episode, one was was Glenn saying to Sally, um, you're going to move away and your mommy's going to have a new baby. Yeah. And you've got Faye saying to Don Draper, you're going to be married within a year. So I, I just noticed that, again, a couple echoes there yeah. of, um, of, of outsiders predicting for people. And we don't get too much from Sally about is she taken with him? Is she intrigued? I mean, she definitely... She likes that he called her. Well, she follows his lead. He instructs her. This is a secret. She ga he gave a fake name, um, and then he instructs her. This is private. So when I believe Carla asks her who was that, she says it was a boy. So she's very much demurring to his uh, instructions right. and his his viewpoint. So everything he's telling her, she's taking full on, not with a grain of salt, and not a lie to Carla. Correct. Not right? a lie to She her. carefully didn't lie or reveal, you know. But Sally is not above a lie, I don't think. I don't see her. I don't know. I don't know if we know. We don't know her. We don't know her to be a liar at all. Bobby's the liar, but. <laughs> right. But my point is, she's not now like out there deceiving the people in her life. That was Stanley, my classmate. Right. She said there was a boy. It right. The boy I just talked to. You know, that, that's who it was. But at the end. She's very much outwardly deceiving everybody because while she doesn't explicitly lie and say, no, I didn't get a gift <laughs> from the the house ransackers, right. she fucking knows what happened. She was a lie of omission, right? She's not telling. But I mean, it's a big, it's a big lie of omission. It isn't, I got a gift. It's, I know who broke into the house You and you're all scared. And I like, she literally knows what happened. Yeah, her mom and, and stepdad are worried about a uh, uh, the burglar and and she knows it's no one who's you know no one's going to come in and and do great harm. They're going to mess up the house because it was because it was Glenn. Did they? How did they get in? Did they? I think the did they, door was open. The door was open, right? I was so I was that's what I was thinking about. Now we know that they lock the door sometimes because she had a key, right? There was the whole thing when Don couldn't couldn't bring her back. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's maybe that's sloppy writing. Maybe maybe it's we have a key. We lock sometimes. We don't lock sometimes. I feel like as a kid, years later, I don't 
think we always locked all the doors. I don't remember keys and locks as a big deal in my house. And this is in the early 70s that I'm, I'm thinking back to. And maybe I'm remembering wrong. The one, the one thing that I know sort of changed the country about locking your doors in the suburbs was the clutter murderers, mur- the clutter murders. That's, uh, in cold blood that Truman Capote wrote. Mm. That those murders were in 1959, and that was like somebody broke in, and the whole family was murdered, and and people started locking their doors. But obviously, not everybody, and not all the time. Because I do think it's plausible the door be open. Yeah, I was born early mid 70s. We were always locking our doors. It was always a thing. Um, my mom used to say every night, "Lock the doors," because the clutter murders 15 years ago. <laughs> say, very impactful. All the way in East Windsor. Such a the um. <laughs> But no, I think I think it's acute. It, again, it's counterintuitive the way Mad Men does it, right? It's it's we see Glenn. I mean, Glenn for all his weirdness would not seem like a kid who was out there breaking into homes. This was this was shocking to watch him with the eggs and the refrigerator and and the whole bit and, and the friend it's horrible was hey dipshit don't turn on the light or he's he's the he's the boss of the operation and uh, you know so we see this real level of of um, vandalism you know malice and. And disregard for humans. And I mean, he didn't murder anybody, but. It's not acute awkwardness of any kind. Where the fuck is Polly, by the way? Yeah, she's asleep at the switch. I mean, we haven't seen a dog in like two years. And I agree. She was conveniently not around. Um, So. Good girl, Polly dog. (laughs) So they do this. And and it's in a sort of weird madman way. Um. Sweet. And it's a sweetness that I didn't pick up on the first time I remember watching it was was Sally walks in a room and says, my room's fine. And the little token, the the sweat, the the, the keychain. Yeah, I thought it was creepy. I mean, I it's got, creepy I got that. We were, yeah, of course. I, it's I got that we were going for some kind of sweetness, but also it was just creepy. I know. But the smile on her face was was she's all in. Doesn't speak well for Sally's future choice of, of no, boys and men. No, no. Or, or current all. ones. Not at all. Not at all. Not even a little bit. And her, you know, keychains. Uh, there's two keychains in this episode that go missing on one level or another. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, so. One gets lost, one gets found. Very ouch. interesting. That's fun. Um, <laughs> one's lost on purpose. One's left on purpose. It's, you don't want to really go there. So, um, but uh, but no, I think, I think Sally's, I would say smitten with Glenn, but I think she's intrigued by the whole secrecy of it. And that, that's that's certainly something she gets from her dad. This secret and flattered. I mean, this is this is uh, Van Gogh's ear she found on her bed. <laughs> yes, exactly. No spoilers. Um, um, <laughs> but it listen. It was a big part of the episode. Again, one that I didn't pick up on too much. It's, again, I don't think of this episode and think about Glenn and Sally. I think of the conga line and Joan and <laughs> and that in that office. So I just I just thought it was interesting that Henry figured it out right away that it was kids. I mean, it, it didn't take a rocket scientist, but he wasn't, he, there was no, um, they didn't write pig and blood on the, on the, on the cabinets. <laughs> he was clear headed. He uh, was yeah. quite clear headed to look around and say, well, what are we looking at yeah, here? Looking and at what cereal and honey on the stove or whatever. Yeah, yeah. that's right. It was all the, it was all kids type things. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Marketing, marketing works every time. All right, man, we got a party to go to. And you know what? Not a party I want to go to. This is the first Sterling Cooper party that Roberta wants nothing to do with. It's really an episode of, I mean, I'm just thinking about we what we just talked about with Glenn. And there's just a lot of manipulation happening here. Oh, yeah. A lot of bullying, a lot of defeat. It's a lonely, 
you know, it's a, it's a Christmas episode that is all about loneliness, <laughs> sure is. domination, successfully unavoided, <laughs> unaverted domination, you know, um, disillusionment. I mean, this is... Well, we can jump right to the closing song for, for tying that together, mm-hmm. you know, Mommy Kiss, right. which is this cutesy little novelty song, of course, but it's it's losing your innocence, it's seeing what you shouldn't, it's being where you shouldn't, it's it's um it's oh my god the world is way more grown up than i thought it was right that's the whole that's all wrapped up in that and sure enough i think it's a perfect choice and it's funny because it opens with it's a great it's a great uh bookend to the opening which where you've got the letter to santa <laughs> from sally for bobby because bobby still believes in santa uh, and sally doesn't so she handled that right, right. for bobby Sally's and, a writer. Sally's a writer. yeah Sally is a writer, but Sal, you know, but, it, but, but Sally's also, you know, whoever is going to be Santa this year is not her daddy and it's not her daddy kissing Santa, mommy and all of that. She's yeah, dealing so with all of that. Mommy's kissing someone else. It's, it's either uh, Henry Francis or Santa Claus or whoever, but it's not daddy. <laughs> That's right. And then for the Christmas party, it, it, Freddie didn't want to be, Freddie didn't, Freddie and Violet didn't go. Freddie didn't want to go because he didn't want to be in a drunken party. But what he literally said was, you know, when you're asked to play Santa, they tend to slip a bottle into the suit for you. <laughs> he knows the drill. I also love that, that cultural marker of Madison Avenue Christmas party. I wouldn't miss it. Like now, now it, 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 it is a box of Velveeta. <laughs> you know, these Christmas parties have taken a little bit of a hit. It depends. I've been to both. I've been to, I've been to a variety of of you know. Sometimes they really spend and they take us out and we go to a club. We book a club right. or whatever. It's you know. It's been a few years. It's been a few years for me, obviously. And this year is different no anyway. Clubs, yeah. Um. But but you, you know, part of you, it's like where are you with company spirit and all of that. Part of you is like this is fabulous and I'm so glad they're doing this. And part of you is like this would be so great in my paycheck. Right. Right. Exactly. My, How much did my, my bonus not this, come yeah. because of this? Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um. And that's just listen. That's just a mature market. In 1964, the 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 graph for ad agencies only had gone up and to the right, you know, through <laughs> through the last decade, decade and a half. So yeah, it was a thing. Madison. Oh man, that, those are the parties to go. They're going to do the Orange Game. That's right. They're going right. to do. The, that's right. Someone's yes. going to play this Santa. This is before key parties. I might get a Polaroid. Like this was where to be. But also, the other cultural marker was. The conga line, because <laughs> we've right. talked about exactly. this before, like, you know, go back to like Paul, Paul and them singing a cappella. This was still a time it's when so it true. wasn't yeah. we weren't too cool to make our own entertainment, to you to put on a play, to put to exactly. use our bodies. You now somebody says conga line. You're like, no, Get no, no, no. Fuck no, out God, of here with this conga line. <laughs> hitting me. In the meantime, that was that was it. That scene as as you I mean, it looks like a gif. In advance, Mike Uppendahl <laughs> knew what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> like Joan almost looked artificial in some ways. Certainly <laughs> was being artificial. No, there's so much. First of all, I, the look on. Listen, John Hamm, great actor, and and embodies Don Draper. We all know, but the look on Don's face when Lee walks in, like I don't just see John Hamm playing Don Draper. I don't just see the character, but I really see someone who is. Just look at his face. It's like, I'm a fucking partner in this firm, and this is our asshole, big whale client that we have to, Lee Garner, how are you? Like, yeah. you know, it, it yeah. becomes the the parade for, for the one guy because they're all singing for their supper that night, or conga lining for their supper. Yep. And he also knows, listen, whatever he thinks of what happened with Sal, 
he knows something. Mm-hmm. And he knows this guy is a, a level of shady that, you know, whatever what his opinions aside, he knows that this guy is is more deceitful and more manipulative than we can even figure out. There's things there's he's worse. Whatever anybody imagines, it's worse. Nobody's confused about any of this. They just they know <laughs> you don't you don't. You, you don't break from company line on this. It's just there's which Roger knows instinctively, Don knows instinctively, even Lane knows instinctively uh, when he's told. <laughs> Lane says it. He um, what's the line? He uh, Lee says I can't remember now. He's like you shouldn't have, and he's like we had to, but that wasn't it. And I have a very special present for a little boy who knows he's been naughty. Lee. <laughs> you didn't need to do that. Yes, we did. So you've got this whole situation, and and really the whole episode does kind of flow from this in one sense or another because it's 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 Peggy and Freddie, and it's it's Doctor Fay, and it's Allison. Like everything kind of revolves in one way or another around this party. So that's why the conga line and the music and the Santa and the Roger getting in the suit. Yeah, it's the centerpiece the way a Christmas tree is, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and the centerpiece of the party happens to be when things come to a dead stop. And and Prince Fauntleroy needs to decide who's going to play Santa. And he, he knows what would hurt the most <laughs> is to put Roger in that thing, looking ridiculous, feeling ridiculous, and insane levels of humiliation because here learned Lee Garner is I don't know 20 years younger than Roger is well regardless I mean yes there's there's that but it's just I mean it was it was such a uh I mean it was brutal and it was painful it was excruciating because it was moment by moment by moment there was it was unrelenting we were not going to miss a beat on how a bully bullies he looks in the he looks you in the eye and is silent in, in this case, right? And the silence, it's a party and it's dead silent. So what does that tell you? <laughs> yeah. Roger tried two or three different ways to slide out of it gracefully and give yeah. Lee the, you know, the the space to back off. And Lee was like, mm, no, no, I'm going to fuck you in the ass. Yeah, this is, this is my thing. My thing is doing this. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just as painful as it sounds. So there's Roger putting, you know, putting the face on again. To do it, and oh boy, I mean, the whole thing is... Brutal. And the line he says to, he goes over to, uh, he goes over to Jane, sidles up oh, to Jane, and, and says the thing about a third heart attack. Yeah, I mean, just disgusting. Class up and down, <laughs> this guy. Really um, horrific. And what's so great about it, whether it's the directing and the writing and the performances all coming together, it's it plays out exactly as painfully as it needs to. <laughs> it's not it didn't just happen that way. Like it was designed to to feel like your your chest was contracting, you know, just watching it. For your third heart attack, yeah. For sure. And uh and it it gets the point across. You know, it's it's expressionistic that way. It really has to feel as painful as it was for those guys. It was for Roger, it was for Lane, it was for Don, and they're all painted smiles on their face. So, whew, wow. <laughs> it's good. You know, just as, just of note, this thing aired in August. It's very weird <laughs> to do a Christmas episode in August. Mm. This is such a, like, that is such a, a madman move that we're not, like, 
syncing. We're not doing a Christmas episode as a Christmas episode. We're just, it happens to be Christmas. This is the cycle of the year. This is the episode we want to do. This is the story we want to tell. I mean, you never see this. You literally never see this. You might see it now with streaming when an entire season dumps, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that time doesn't matter. But I can't recall a Christmas episode. Um, but I mean, this is the diehard of Christmas episodes, I guess, I too. Think so. you know, it's like it's, ugh. I think so. Just wild. Listen, that's... That's the episode, guys. That is Christmas comes but once a year, once a decade for me, because I have not watched this thing since it aired, I don't think. It's, um, you know, not to kick off the season with like a broken record, but it doesn't get easier to watch some of these. No. (laughs) No. This is this is not a fun one. Uh, like I said, the theme is like despair and loneliness and dissolution. But I'll, t- and but I'll tell you, uh, <laughs> manipulation. Watching it this time around, I definitely had a greater appreciation for the episode than I'd had. I didn't realize all this—the Freddie Peggy stuff and um, even even some of the Allison stuff, which was incredibly hard to watch. I didn't get all the pieces of of the that after exchange to me read very differently now than it did then. So I. I I agree. Difficult to watch. Not a lot of fun, but but richer, I think, than I I'd given it uh, initial credit for. It's a heavy. It's a heavy one. Um. All right. When we come back, we are going to take a look at a couple of quirky, quirky. or or scenes that we might have otherwise not had. Quirky. Those little cuties. Quirky. Hey there. If you're looking for a way to support us, the best way to do that is over at patreon.com slash theycoinditpod. You've got mini episodes every week known as Eminently Chewable, where we just, you know, keep chewing. And also the weekly episodes drop early instead of Thursdays, they come Monday mornings. And there are opportunities to join us for the live audience participation. They joined it like we just did at the end of season three. There will be more of those. So head on over there. We've also got merch. You've seen our merch. They coined it on a t-shirt. Your Dick Whitman is showing on a tote bag. Come on. Uh, You can find that in show notes and also over at the Patreon. But mostly we love hearing from you and we, we know that you're listening and we love that you're listening. Those five-star reviews on Apple Podcast are really wonderful, really helping us get seen and found. Also, we've got the Facebook group. We've got the email, questions at theycoinditpod.com, Instagram and Twitter, TCI Mad Men Pod. The Twitter, we've got a lot happening over there. So come on by and uh, join in the fun, but mostly keep listening. We, we love bringing this to you. We love bringing the guests we've been able to bring. So let's get back to it. All right, Dan. What scene do you want to talk about? So if you remember, in Freddie and Peggy's last conversation, uh, it's not quite a makeup scene, but sort of. But he, you know, she's asking him, sort of asking him advice about her relationship. <clears throat> she doesn't really say Mark or talk about it in detail, but they're talking about, um, you know, how do you know it's the one? How do you act when you think it's the one? He, He's all over me, she says, or something to that effect. And uh, Freddie shares a little too much about how Randy, he was with Violet back in the day, but a little bit. <laughs> but um, it's physical. That's right. <laughs> but he says, um, he says to her, or she, she lets it be known that she's not sleeping with him and that she's sort of saving herself, which we think is kind of like this 
it's a little bit of bullshit. Like I think between the conversation we saw her have with Mark earlier on, not that it's bullshit that she's saving herself, but she she doesn't seem to buy the whole thing about. I think she's not sleeping with him because I don't know if she she doesn't feel she's ready or she doesn't know about this relationship yet for her. Because we know that she will sleep with someone before being married. I'm not even just talking about Pete, but the hamburger guy. You know, she's she she's not she's not looking to be save, saving herself. Oh, Doc, of course, Doc, of course. Right duck. So there's no th- this woman is not saving herself at this point for marriage. No, no, no. She's this is what I mean about her. She's 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 nobody knows who she is in either of these scenarios and either of these series of conversations with either of these men. Nobody has any idea who they're talking That's to. Right. So pe- <laughs> you know. so. So Freddie gives that that little piece, which is the old fashioned line about, well, if you sleep with him, he's never going to respect you. And, uh, uh, you know, if you're serious about him, in effect saying, if you're serious about him, continue to not sleep with him, marry him. And then from there, he's your husband. Uh, So the underrated scene to me is uh, we see at the end that they've slept together. We don't just see that they've slept together. We see a look on her face of. This is, this is not, this is not the guy. I mean, that was the whole thing was how do you know? Right, exactly. But I I didn't read it. I didn't look at it as dissatisfaction from the sex. I looked at it as, um, and this is why it's my quirky scene. I looked at it as, well, I took Freddie's advice and I slept with him because I know he's not the one. (laughs) If you know he's not the one, Freddie, conversely, Mm. um, go ahead and have your fun because I'm not worried about whether he's going to respect me as a wife or whatever because he's not we're not going the distance so let me if i want to sleep with him i'll sleep with him but i'm not going to i'm not going to get mixed up in this question about marriage not with this one thank you that's interesting i i didn't take it that way and 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 that and there is a there is a logic to what you're yeah, pointing to logic, I, logic. <laughs> no no actual logic the actual logic is is the last thing she the last thing she hears is if you sleep with him, you won't be able to marry him. So that's the logic yeah. that points to what you're saying. I don't know, though. There was a lot of, I mean, you had the whole thing at the beginning with Mark where he's like, you know, in Sweden, was it Sweden? It was Sweden, yeah, right? right? In Sweden, people have sex all the time and they do it to find out and to, you know, because how do you find out if you want to be with somebody? She's Swedish? I guess. Who knows? I, it right. was really funny. She's like, yeah, I don't take Swedish <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah, that's not the way to get um, me to do anything, right? But- Part, I mean, I don't see Peggy as taking one piece of advice so much as rolling all of this around in her head. And then let's go back to it comes down to what I want versus what's expected of me. A, what she wants is sex. B, what she wants is a date on New Year's. <laughs> she made that clear. And he's starting to go like, like, I don't know if I can hang around much longer if you're not going to put out. But to me, the look was just more disillusionment was just yeah. was just like it was fine. I, I really this is what sleeping with somebody. I don't feel anything with. like I mean, we listen, we never saw her. We didn't see much of her in bed with with Duck, but it wasn't that look no. because there was nothing to be disappointed about because she was just fucking some older guy and it was for and fun. It, yeah. And it worked for her. So so what I the, what, what I did read on that was I I just took my future in my own hands by doing this. By by not making all these, not thinking that everything I do now like will play out in the future in some in some ripple effect way. No, if, and if it does, I'm doing what I want because I'm not going to be marrying this guy. This is not the one. I guess I, she just looked so unhappy. I didn't read it that way. I looked at it as mm-hmm. I looked at it as a certain kind of contentment. She didn't look unhappy to me or or unsatisfied. It was sort of like, huh? So I just did that. All right. 
I did it for, and I did it for my reasons. So that's even better. Coiners, you tell us what you saw on Peggy's face. <laughs> Postcoital. Next to Mark. Yeah. Postcoital. With Mark. Was she the big spoon or the little spoon? All right. Um, well, we we do see more of Mark, though. Let's just, without spoiling it, we see a little more of Mark. So the scene that um, really I found fascinating was the first scene where we meet Phoebe. Now, it's it's a cut. It It, it, it goes from Don in the office right after he had slipped out of the psychological test, whatever. And Allison says, do you need ice? Do you want ice? He says, yes, I want ice. Immediately cut to he's being awakened in a dark, in his dark bed by this banging outside. So there's already this surreal sort of dream-like, you know, there's definitely, there's a moment of, this is one of these like blurry lines, like it feels a little like a dream. It's not a dream. Is it later that night? Is it the next morning? We don't know. Yeah, and and we find out. In fact, it's it's eight a.m. It's the next morning, but the whole thing feels a little like a dream. You've got Phoebe, who is almost a little too. She, I mean, she looks like a doll. Just she's one of these like tiny little people with a with a big head and giant eyes, and this nurse uniform that's legit for the time, but to our eyes is very odd looking. And she so she looks like kind of a doll and she's yeah yeah, like this pixie in a nurse you know and then she's up on the she's up on the ladder banging with christmas lights but then she's down and she's in his face and this is another one where there's a lot that's very on the nose where she's like but i've seen you and i know you've seen me and he's in this blur and you don't really know what is going on from his perspective or what he's thinking is he drunk every time so he really doesn't remember her is he playing a little right. hard take. I was with my friend. She tripped on the stairs. All these details yeah, that you think maybe he would you pick up on, right? Yeah. So it was like, you know, again, we don't. This is before she refers to him as a drunk. That's the that's the that's next right. scene when she puts him to bed, and that's when she starts projecting, "You're my father." You know, my father was a drunk too, and she turns and she turns him down, which you don't think she's going to do because in this scene she is distinctly hitting on him. Mm, right. Come, First time. Come to my party. You know, I've seen you all over. I know you've seen me. Don't pretend you haven't. So it's just a weird little. It is. It's it's, a, it's all part of. Scene. It's all, it is. It is because because it, it sets up this head fake, right? That that I think pays off with Allison. And that and then that was my my earlier point about the head fake. But it's like we're totally led to believe. Oh, so season four, Don's going to be banging the girl across across the hall, right? And because she's attractive, she absolutely looks like someone Don would be with. I mean, a little young for him, but he's he's single now, he's, and what the hell? And she's very forward with him as well. So it just seems like everything is is aligning for for that to be the case. And then we see a little thing with Doctor Faye later, but it you know then Allison you know it's kind of an end around with Allison. And um, yeah, it's 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 the pacing and the 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 plot twists are just so, and they're really yeah. really great, really great. And this is a quirky scene for sure. Yeah, it had a dream. It really had a dreamlike quality. I go back to Matt Zoller Seitz, who says, you know, there are certain moments in 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 cinema in general, and definitely in Mad Men, where it's like, is this a dream or not? Guess it doesn't matter. Right. And I'm and I'm not suggesting that this was a dream, mm-hmm. uh, but but it, it had that vibe yeah. of like it was it was a little floaty, you know. In every other season so far, what we've seen is Don married and one other main love interest if you will mm-hmm. or romantic interest or fuck buddy yeah. <laughs> you F- know bobby barrett F-W-B, whatever whatever yeah. that was you know um and i don't you know and, and what we're already setting up here is this is a this is a different don yeah 
you know, we are, like I said earlier, we're looking at these women, like which one is he going to sleep with? But maybe all. We know he's already seeing a prostitute or prostitutes, right? So that's like, it's just a very it's not Don, a great single spot in Don's life. I mean, we just were no. getting this, all these little data points on that. And he's going to Acapulco for New Year's. He says he is. He does say he is. That's the plan. Spoiler. That's the I think plan. he is. I think he does next. I think we see him that's there next the week. So next week is. The good news. The good news. Is it though? It's got to be about good news. That's the title, right? It's got to be, but it's got to be better than this. Okay, so we'll talk about the good news that happens in the good news <laughs> next time. We'll see you next time on They Coined It. Bye-bye.